It's the president's first address to Congress to mark the end of his first 100 days in office. So what's the reaction from Indiana's congressional delegation? We'll hear from Representatives Larry Bouchon, Andre Carson, and Victoria Sparts on the president's infrastructure plan. Plus, I go one-on-one with Indiana Senator Mike Braun. All that, plus the debate over free pre-K and what Indiana lawmakers are saying about the lawsuit Governor Holcomb just filed at the Statehouse. It's all ahead this Sunday in Focus. Good morning, I'm Dan Spieler. President Joe Biden hitting the road to sell his infrastructure plan after speaking to the nation Wednesday night. We'll hear from Indiana lawmakers coming up, but first, Washington correspondent Anna Wernicke with a recap of the president's speech, marking his first 100 days in office. Good to be back. In his first joint address to Congress and on the eve of his 100th day in office, President Joe Biden says America is on the move again. Americans always get up. Today, that's what we're doing. America's rising anew. The president called his administration's response to the coronavirus pandemic a success. After I promised we'd get 100 million COVID-19 vaccine shots into people's arms in 100 days, we will have provided over 220 million COVID shots in those 100 days. And laid out his priorities for the next 100 days. We have a real chance to root out systemic racism that plagues America in American lives in other ways. A chance to deliver real equity, good jobs, good schools, affordable housing. But in order to move his agenda forward, the president will need the support of Republicans. We need more Senate Republicans to join the overall majority of Democratic colleagues and close the loopholes required in background check purchases of guns. This was the pitch. You just heard it again. But our nation is starving for more than empty platitudes. South Carolina Senator Tim Scott delivered the Republicans' rebuttal, criticizing the president for not focusing enough on the issues he says Americans care about. Policies and progress that brings us closer together. But three months in, the actions of the president and his party are pulling us further and further apart. And that was Anna Wernicke reporting. This morning, we have reaction from Indiana's congressional delegation. Some of them were there in attendance Wednesday night. Many of them, because of health protocols, were not. But they all have a lot to say about the president's speech and his massive new infrastructure plan. There's broad agreement amongst the parties that we have an infrastructure deficit as it relates to roads, bridges, uh, broadband, and other traditional infrastructure, even mass transit in our cities are in disrepair in many areas. Um, But what we don't agree on is pushing forward with this bill because a lot of it's about climate, a lot of it's about Green New Deal type programs, electric cars, other what I'll say is non-infrastructure related issues. So uh, I'm disappointed by that. I'm also disappointed by the fact the president thinks that raising the corporate tax rate to a non-competitive rate, which will result in jobs offshoring, people losing their jobs, uh, is in the bill as a way to pay for this because we know it won't pay for it. If somebody really wants to work on bipartisan solution, you would get to the table people from both parties. He hasn't even met with the leadership in the House of the Republican Party, not talking about everyone else. So I think what kind of bipartisanship it is. I haven't seen any actions except in his last sentence, but it's all just empty talking points. So 
hopefully I'll be surprised, but I haven't seen except few issues, maybe on foreign policies, everything else were very radical and very, you know, catering to very progressive radicals in, in his party. We're embarking on a very important infrastructure bill that will create millions of jobs over the next 10 to 15 years. And under Joe Biden's leadership, I think we're going to finally get it done. He wants to have over 200,000 electric vehicle stations across our country in the next five years. We're going to repair over the 40,000 roads and bridges that have to be repaved and restructured. And this is a job creator. We're going to start as cars and vehicles are getting smarter. Our roads have to get smarter. So this infrastructure bill is not only going to do a lot for Indiana, it's going to do a lot for our country. And I think that these things are finally attainable after weathering the storm and the debacle of the Trump administration, we are finally at a place where we have a president who's ready to get down to work and do what's right for Hoosiers. Congressman Carson speaking there at a virtual watch party for Indiana Democrats. Wednesday night, we also heard from Indiana Senator Todd Young. Massive, sweeping initiatives that have long been wish list items for the left. I was part of a group of 10 Republican senators who tried to get to a place of unity on the president's COVID-19 relief proposal. He invited us to the Oval Office. He listened. He asked questions. But ultimately, he did not budge. What we got instead was a $1.9 trillion package that was 90% filled with items unrelated to COVID relief. All right. And also this week, I spoke with Indiana Senator Mike Braun about the president's first 100 days. And I got his take on the president's massive infrastructure proposal. Well, I think he's been on a fairly consistent theme of wanting to unite America, uh, to bring us together in some fashion. And we all know that over the little over two years I've been here, there's a big divide on how we need to solve the big problems of the day. Sadly, with the overture, I was over there for uh, supply chain issues, and many Republicans have been there. And Dan, what I see is a, the uh, kind of welcome to discussions uh, haven't seen any of it put into play when it comes to incorporating anything we might be interested in. To me, that's kind of a false uh, invitation to be part of a joint solution. So uh, the COVID relief package, uh, less than 10% aimed at COVID relief. We were interested in that, especially maybe even doing a little more, but not the balance of what was not pertinent to the title of the discussion. Infrastructure would be the same way. As he hits 100 days, uh, polls have shown a majority do approve of his handling of the pandemic. The infrastructure bill, at least so far, also has been polling fairly well. Do you think there's room for compromise uh, on the infrastructure bill uh, as it's uh, laid out right now? Let me tell you why I think that is the case in terms of the high poll numbers. You cannot go wrong talking about trying to put COVID-19 in the rearview mirror. You're going to get large buy-in to it, but you got to get into the details. Only 10% of that nearly $2 trillion. Every penny that we borrowed, it's not offset from anything else. Infrastructure, in my opinion, defending our country at the federal level. Infrastructure, maybe having an uh, entitlement system that's going to be there for those that depend upon it you're gonna win always on the polling. Uh, you need to poll too and say, would you be for all that if you knew you were putting it on the tab, kids and grandkids paying for it probably wouldn't poll quite as well.
All right, part of my interview there with Senator Mike Braun. Another proposal from the president this week, the American Families Plan, involves free preschool for three- and four-year-olds across the country. It's something we discussed this week with early learning experts here in Indiana and with the chair of the House Education Committee, who says he's somewhat skeptical of the plan. I'm concerned about quality. I mean, I understand what the federal proposal is. We'll see what ends up coming out in the end. Nothing is free in life, let's face it. You know, somebody's paying for it at some level. You can see more of that interview and what early learning experts are telling us about the president's proposal on our website. Well, coming up this Sunday in Focus, we'll see what the polls are saying about the president's speech and what Americans thought about his remarks and policy proposals. But up next, Governor Holcomb filing a lawsuit over a bill that could take away some of his emergency powers. We'll have the latest from the Statehouse next. At the State House this week, Governor Holcomb signed the new state budget into law along with a handful of other bills from the legislature. But one new law is leading to a lawsuit from the governor himself, a lawsuit that the attorney general is now asking the courts to strike down. Todd Rokita saying Friday that he thinks the new law limiting the governor's emergency powers is constitutional and says the governor's lawsuit is, quote, unauthorized. Kayla Sullivan has more. This is an incredibly historic moment. You may be tired of the word unprecedented, but that's how this lawsuit is being described by experts. That doesn't mean it wasn't expected. Not surprised uh, at all. I, I saw it coming. Governor Eric Holcomb has been clear since the start. He doesn't think this legislation is constitutional. Neither do Democrats. It's not necessarily siding with the governor. It's siding with the Constitution, and it's clear that only the governor can call us into uh, special session. Though Republican legislative leadership has repeatedly said they believe Governor Eric Holcomb handled this pandemic well, they want to guarantee more say in the future. Those opposed argue during an emergency there isn't time for a part-time legislature to make these calls. You can't have 150 people uh, trying to make these decisions um, that can change minute by minute, hour by hour. Indiana isn't the only state questioning the role of the governor during a pandemic, but what may be unconstitutional here could be constitutional elsewhere. And one of the really cool things about state constitutions is, of course, they're all quite different. Wilson says we should all care about this lawsuit because it will determine who makes important decisions during an emergency. We're talking about things like mask mandates or vaccine requirements. All right, and Laura is here with us now, along with the rest of the panel, Mike Murphy, Robin Winston, Tony Samuel. Let's start with former GOP lawmaker Mike Murphy. Mike, the AG put out a statement this week that really continued to complicate this already complicated legal situation. Well, you have to understand, Dan, none of this has anything to do with legal principle or the Constitution, frankly. It has to do with ambition. The governor is a lame duck, gov lame duck governor, and the legislators and the attorney general fear their county chairman more than they fear the governor. And that's why this challenge is happening. All right. So here is that statement from Attorney General Todd Rokita saying uh, in declining to authorize outside counsel to represent the governor, the office of the attorney general is not beset by a conflict of interest. But he says is fulfilling its core purpose, allowing state agencies to resort to the judicial system for every statute passed, he said, would foster legislative irresponsibility and unnecessarily overburden the courts into issuing essentially advisory opinions. So he's saying he doesn't give the governor uh, permission essentially to seek outside counsel. L let's bring in Tony Samuel, the 2016 vice chair for the Indiana Trump campaign. Tony, do you agree with Mike or do you have a, a different take on all this? Well, my take is this, it's, it's uh, I see it a couple different ways. It's kind of fascinating and as, as a political junkie, kind of fun to watch 
Um, you know, everyone, I think when Todd Rokita became attorney general, we expected something to go awry between him and the governor. We, we, we didn't imagine it would be this um, because we weren't sure what was on the horizon at the time. Um, so it's, it's just interesting. I'm not picking sides. Um, too smart for that. But um, I, I think really the governor is doing the right thing from his perspective. He's got to stand his ground. And the legislature is as well, because you, you have to look at it this way. What if Indiana had a Gretchen Whitmer as governor or an Andrew Cuomo or a Gavin Newsom? Down the road, that's what the legislature is looking to uh, to take you know precautions against. Um, and so it's, it's fascinating to watch. I'm not sure how it'll end. Let's bring in Robin Winston, now former state party chair for the Indiana Democrats, who also played a key role in the Biden-Harris campaign. Robin, how do you see this from across the aisle? Well, first off, the other side of the aisle was in support of the governor's position and sided with him. Every Democrat did that. Now, this sounds like a, a backyard brawl between the Republican Party, and that's fine there. I think this emanates from the mask mandate, and it emanates from Donald Rainwater getting a large percent of the vote in the primary, and I think that has spooked a lot of the Republican leadership. As far as transitions go, unfortunately, I was around when we lost Governor O'Bannon, to death, and we were able to transition to a lieutenant governor, and it didn't wreck the system. So I don't know why we need all these curbs and things on the governor. The governor is doing the right thing as it relates to trying to move our, our state forward. The emergency orders are signed off by other people, so I don't think this is necessary. Laura, where does this put the governor politically right now within his party, the legislature and the AG, both standing against him on this issue after what was otherwise a fairly successful legislative session, despite all the other challenges? It, it was. Now, obviously, there's some conflict here. Uh, I think what's interesting is a lot of times we think of conflict as necessarily being bad, but to a point that Tony said, and I would just emphasize, this is the way the process works. There, you know, Yes, the governor's going to want more executive power. Um, I believe it was necessary at the time, and you do see pushbacks in different states with regards to this issue unprecedented times, right? At the same time, the state legislature says, well, it can't be possibly unlimited. Uh, for Eric Holcomb, he is a lame duck governor. Um, he's had very successful in administration thus far. I don't think it puts him in any worse of a position than he necessarily was before. If he doesn't have all the support of the legislature, yes, yeah, some of the policies he wants to pass may not pass, but that's that's pretty typical in terms of the relationship between the governor and the state legislature. We shouldn't expect it always to be in line all the time. That's politics. That's the reality of it. And I, I think we're just watching it play out. Doesn't always come to this, of course. The governor uh, going ahead with that plan to seek outside counsel. We'll see how it uh, shakes out in court. Let's change gears now and talk about President Biden's address to Congress. He spoke at length about his infrastructure plan and the trillions that he's hoping to spend in this and other pieces of legislation. CBS News conducting a poll with YouGov right after the speech. 85% of those who watched the speech approved of what they heard. Now, we should point out, as with previous presidential addresses, those who watched were more likely to be from the same party as the president, this time by about a 35-point margin. 74% of speech watchers said they thought the president's policy proposals would help them. Laura, what do you make of those numbers? What did you make of his speech? 
Well, I love that you added in. Of course, supporters are more likely to watch. If you don't like the president, why would you want to hear necessarily what he's going to say? And, and yet some people certainly do. I think the numbers are really indicative of this larger divisiveness that we see. And, and we've looked at Biden's polling numbers as we've come across this 100-day threshold. He's hovering right around 53%. Um, that's still a, a slight majority. But when you look at who's supporting him, overwhelmingly Democrats say they love him and equally overwhelmingly Republicans say they don't. You see this divisiveness and we talk about bipartisanship. It's going to be very hard to do, but I think that's where it's most important. That was one of the themes that he discussed in his address to the American public in Congress. And that's going to be the hardest thing to deliver, but probably the most important in terms of bridging that gap of Americans. Mike, what were your thoughts on the speech and how do Republicans counter the president's uh, relatively strong approval numbers? Well, I think, first of all, I think the speech was, uh, the thing I liked most about it was the president stood there only used the word I five times, never really about himself, just saying, I'm saying this, or I said this before. He didn't make fun of any black people, Jewish people, Asian people, Arabs. He, he actually acted like a president, which I was amazed at and, and impressed with. Um, he, did, he was inconsistent, though. He, he talked about buying American, and yet the masks that were handed out on the floor were KN95 masks made in China. He could have gotten a mask like this, made in Culver City, Iowa, or he could have called the Geyer family in Rensselaer, Indiana, and said, send me some masks. So the, 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 the execution didn't really match the message. As far as the numbers go, I'm going to wait on The Economist to weigh in over the next several weeks and see if we can really pay for it. Robin, some observers have described the, the president's proposals as, as potentially transformational. Is that how you see it? But does he also at the same time risk going too far when it comes to the amount he's spending and the political capital he may be spending. No, no, it's time to get things done. There are 117 mayors that are all trying to figure out what's going to happen to them all the way from Angola to Jeffersonville. Uh, there are 276 county commissioners looking forward to getting this kind of money back in their communities. It's 296 school districts here in Indiana that look forward to getting funds from the federal government. The president was, was dead on, and to quote Ronald Reagan, the greatest social program is a job. And that's what he talked about the entire speech. Tony, your response to that? Well, if by transformational you mean he's going to bankrupt the, the nation, uh, then yeah, that's that's uh, exactly what's going on. Six trillion dollars, six trillion dollars on top of the 20 plus trillion in debt that we already uh, have uh, upon us and upon our, our next generations. Um, it's really just making this country more and more dependent on the government. Now, everybody's for infrastructure. I'm for infrastructure improvements. We need them. We need better, we need better roads and bridges. But this is going to bankrupt the country. It's going gonna, it's gonna to kill small businesses. It's all tax increases, whereas the previous administration, President Trump, was cutting regulations, cutting taxes. Uh, unemployment was at record lows across the board for African-American, Hispanic women, 7 million New jobs were created during the Trump administration. A third of those were for African-Americans, Hispanics, and women. Uh, and, and wages were increasing at the, at the, for the lowest wage earners faster than they were for the highest wage earners. Now you've got the exact opposite, and it's going to wreck this country. Coming up next, uh, we'll be back with our panel for this week's Winners and Losers. But up next, Mayor Joe Hogsett on the state of downtown Indy. After a year of persistent challenges, is the city bouncing back? We're back right after this, plus a look at what Vice President Pence had to say in his first speech since leaving office next. It's been a year of highs 
and it's been a year of lows. But throughout, downtown remained the physical and the emotional center of the city of Indianapolis. Mayor Joe Hogsett speaking this week as part of this year's State of Downtown presentation. City leaders, including the mayor, speaking about the challenges Indy has faced this past year. They also talked about how they're working to make sure downtown bounces back. We have more interviews and reaction to that story on our website. Thursday night, former Vice President and former Indiana Governor Mike Pence delivered his first speech since leaving office. He spoke in South Carolina about the current state of politics. With the Democratic president and Democratic majorities in both houses of Congress, Pence had experience with that same dynamic when he served in Congress. But what happened then, and I believe will happen again, is that conservatives across America, in public office and in families and businesses alike, all rallied around the cause. The former VP is expected to attend a private dinner next week in Texas with a number of potential contenders in the 2024 presidential race. Our panel's back with this week's winners and losers right after this. All right, let's wrap it up with this week's winners and losers. Mike. Well, first of all, the winner has to be Governor Eric Holcomb simply for standing up for the Indiana Constitution. The loser has to be Congressman uh, Matt Gates from Florida, who's going to launch a nationwide clown car tour to deflect from allegations and federal investigations into potentially uh, having sex with minors. Robin. Uh, Joe Biden, fist bump to Liz Cheney on his way up to speak. Standing right behind him were um, Nancy Pelosi and Kamala Harris. First time that's ever happened uh, with two females in charge of the, of the House at that point. And lastly, the way he handled the Justice Department investigations in Louisville and Minneapolis. Tony? My winner for the week is Republican, uh, African-American uh, Senator from South Carolina, Tim Scott, who gave the rebuttal to President Biden's address. He did a great job, probably the best rebuttal we've ever seen, uh, and showed the future of the Republican Party. Losers are the folks from the left that attacked Senator Scott, especially for his uh, remarks on race. Laura? My winners are Alex Nation, Mike Dilk, and Dan Parker. They're working with me personally in Indianapolis on a sidewalk. And, you know, we talk about bipartisanship, we talk about action, but it's really happening here in Indianapolis, and I'm grateful for being a part of it. All right. Thank you all for being with us. We appreciate it. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus.